Rafano, welcome back to Balance X Future Farming, where we chat with experts about some of the big issues impacting farmers and growers in Aotearoa and break down the science behind it to figure out practical solutions. I'm your host, Tangaro Walker, a Kiwi farmer based way down at the bottom of Aotearoa in a place called Miruhuku, Southland, and I'm really excited to learn too. Today we're talking about new food technologies, a topic that gets most farmers I know excited. From GE to GM technologies, to alternative proteins, you can't help but start thinking about what the future of farming might look like and what awesome opportunities on the horizon might be. So to break it down, we're talking to Suzanne Young, who has worked in the agriculture industry for over 15 years. She has a Bachelor of Science degree in Zoology and Ecology and a Master of Science in Animal Behaviour and Welfare. With a special interest in the future of food, Suzanne leads Balanced Agri-Nutrients Future Ready Farmers it's called the SFFF program, a $25.1 million fund in partnership with MPI. Accompanying her will be Dr. Jocelyn Eason. Jocelyn leads Plant and Food Research's food innovation portfolio, made up of approximately 130 researchers. The food innovation science teams investigate horticulture, arable, and marine foods and the influence of food on health and wellness. A recent focus has been strengthening the belly proposition for future plant-based foods in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm super excited to jump into this one because it is a topic that doesn't get much airtime. Let's get into it. Well, kia ora Jocelyn, kia ora Suzanne, um, awesome to have you guys on the Balance X podcast. Look, let's not muck around, I'm sure there's uh, farmers sitting in tractors and uh, potentially moving crops right now, let's crack straight on into it. When we talk about new food tech, what is it that, that we're actually talking about? Oh, I think um, we use tech in our farming all the time, Tangaroa, we use new tech all the time. So when we're talking about new food tech, we're talking about doing more of what we currently do but then introducing different sorts of technologies into it, you know, making the food that we produce more sustainable by measuring the right things, you know, measuring the, the carbon and measuring the water and measuring the nitrogen, understanding the nutrients that, that we're producing in those. But also then, you know, you can have robotics um, managing your labour force. You can think about different ways of growing rather than growing everything outside where the, the weather's going to have a big impact, maybe there's more sort of protected cropping, maybe there's different ways that we can grow it. So all of that is new tech when it comes to farming. Plus, of course, there's the meat in a dish, which everybody gets really concerned about, but those sort of cell foods, you know, they're new ways of doing things. And there's different sorts of plants and different sorts of things that we could eat that's new. So, you know, new tech is a really broad category. I think it's about just asking how we might be able to do things a little bit differently. I just think it's really important that we see it as an opportunity rather than a threat. And I think the key piece around that opportunity is that the world is predicted to grow to 10 billion people in the year 2050. You know, that presents a real opportunity. New Zealand creates great food, and that's that opportunity for us. We've got loads of people to feed. How can we start integrating new food technology into what we're currently doing? Like, what does the future look like for us? Because before you just said that it's just using technology like we are currently doing, it's quite scary when you put it in those simple terms. So I suppose what you were saying, Jocelyn, before the age of silage and bailage, that was a new food tech, wasn't it? 
Certainly was. Yeah, and you think about it. I, and I grew up on a farm before silage sort of stuff. You know, you, you grew hay, everybody got out there, you had the tiny wee bales and you put them into a big hay barn and things have changed. But the farmers that are doing that sort of work now with silage, they understand the nutrition of the animals and what the plants have to deliver. I assume that the farmers back in the day, they would know that, but they would measure it in different ways. So the technologies now, um, we're thinking about new plant food crops. Well, to introduce them in a way that farmers can use them, introduce them into a rotation, you know, so it's not uh, you have to swap a whole farming system for another farming system, actually introduce them to the farming systems that you've got now. So if we're developing these new technologies, I think we have to develop them alongside an understanding of the risks, an understanding of the business case that, you know, who's taking the risk, how much money are they going to make, but, um, you know, what's the sort of opportunities out the end. So I think, you know, this is a partnership approach when we're thinking about how we integrate new food technologies into uh, New Zealand's primary production. So it's, you know, it's the science and the business and the farmers and everybody all coming together. Sitting around a table is where you actually work out how this thing's going to happen, you know, how you're going to implement it. My guys will come up with some really bright ideas, but then, you know, how do you implement that into New Zealand's primary production? That's the exciting bit. Yeah, it is exciting. And you touched on that earlier, Suzanne. For those farmers that have been late adopters to adopting tech in their workplaces and and using tech as still reading out of textbooks and that sort of stuff, do you think there's a chance they could get left behind? Yes, I totally do. I think in any walk of life, we should all be keeping abreast of what's going on, making sure that we're reading what's, um, you know, the latest and greatest. I think there's a real piece for people in terms of understanding that new technology, as Jocelyn has said, doesn't mean, you know, um, setting up a vertical farm or crispr teching your plants, etc. It could just mean growing a new variety of a crop in a cropping system that you might already have going or just doing something, you know, making tweaks to your current system that really don't mean a great deal for you. And so, yeah, I definitely think that they could get left behind. So new new food technology, like we, it is quite a scary thing, but is there still the demand for your three-inch steak and uh, your rack of lamb? Like for me personally, I'm always going to choose that over my salad. Is that demand still there, Jocelyn? Yeah, I, I, there's still demand for um, meat, proteins, different sorts though. Um, your great big, huge, thick steak, tangaroa, yeah, for some people. <laughs> for others, we might like to have it a little bit differently. I think it's the options that you put in front of people. There's certainly a big demand for more vegetables and fruit and more plants. So I suggest you have a few salads on the side of your steak. So I think <laughs> it's the options. So it's not, you know, when I grew up, it was meat. Potatoes and three veg, we're past that. But everybody has their old, you know, favourites that they like to get back to. So it's nothing wrong with a bit of steak and mashed potatoes and a bit of gravy. We just need to mix it up a bit. Wicked. Suzanne, you mentioned earlier about the increase in population. Do you think we're going to be able to feed that population with our current farming systems or is is, uh, new food technology going to have a a huge uh, role to play? Yeah, that's a really good question. I I mean, we're going to have to do whatever we can do to grow that food source for the world. 
I think a lot of people, particularly farmers and growers, feel there may be a threat from people talking about um, lab-grown or cultured meat, for example, or these alternative proteins. Actually, I see that as an opportunity. There's a real opportunity for whatever food we can produce to feed the world. So there is definitely going to be a market for New Zealand food, whatever that may look like in the future, but you know, particularly our animal proteins, for example, in terms of just a nice piece of lamb or a good steak, um, there's definitely a role for that. Um, but there's also a role as people uh, shift potentially to, you know, we're talking about flexitarian diets where people are reducing the amount of meat that they're eating and increasing the amount of vegetables, etc. That there's definitely a role for all of those options to be on the supermarket shelf or in the fridge at the supermarket. Wicked. Jocelyn, um, Suzanne's been talking about roles and and I'm not talking about the roles that are under my chin at the moment. Um, meat roles. What is GM and GE, mate? Like, are we still going to have roles? Is there still going to be that sort of food around with wheat and uh, sausage roll? Is there going to be GM and GE sausage rolls? And genetic modification is an interesting sort of a beast. And I think there's been a lot of um, hype about what it can deliver. I think there's an opportunity, uh, you know, as we face down the barrel of climate change for genetic modification to add some really strong genes into our plants, particularly that help with climate change, you know, help managing low water, you know, drought resistance, help with the pests and diseases, all those sorts of things, because yes, we can grow a lot of food now, but as our climate changes, the same foods won't it won't be possible to grow them all in the places that we're currently growing them. If we improve those genetics and if we can't do it through natural breeding and, and there are opportunities through GM to introduce uh, genes that are going to make those plants more robust, then that's an opportunity. Um, sausage rolls, goodness me, we probably should make them a little healthier. <laughs> but, um, you know, everybody loves a good sausage roll as long as it comes with the right sort of tomato sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so you talk a little bit there about um, climate change and potentially food being better suited for it. What about pests and diseases? And you know, is there a way of adopting uh, GE products that are that are going to be able to withstand diseases and and less chemicals being applied to them? Yeah, well, what, the other thing that we can think about when it comes to pests and diseases is using biological weapons. You know, when you introduce a, um, an insect that's going to eat the pest that you're having a problem with. So really think about the broad range of tools that you can bring to your pest and disease problem. And genetic modification is one of those things if you can make the plants more resistant to pests, but still safe for human consumption. Yeah, so there's also um, CRISPR technology, which is a gene editing technology that we've um, also been talking about in terms of, you know, it identifies a specific piece of DNA that it can cut and replace with potentially a more resistant, you know, piece of DNA that, that can be inserted into a plant, for example, that can help the resistance of that plant to pests and disease, for example. So there's potentially tools like that that we could be using that can help as Justin says, you know, in a um, in a world with climate change where we've got, you know, increases in climatic events, et cetera. Um, I've got here a statistic around that half the world's population will be living in water-stressed areas by 2050. 
and um, that droughts will become the new normal. So, you know, things like that are really going to, you know, tools or technologies like that are really going to help us in a world where we need to increase the amount of food that we're growing in more challenging circumstances. Without going too deep into laboratory-grown proteins, with this huge demand on food to feed our population, where is that heading for us, laboratory-grown food? It's it's quite scary. I didn't pay too much attention when I was at the back of my science classes uh, trying to light the place on fire, but I do remember the labs, and um, and they were quite scary. Is this where we're leading into now for the future of 2050? I think that there's an opportunity for these different technologies to help produce food for humans. You know, large cities like Singapore, they want to have a secure food system. COVID comes along, you know, 100% of their stuff's all imported and the supply chains, they just get shut down. So here they're sitting with a massive population of people and they can't feed them. So in instances like that, these sorts of lab-grown foods, they're really, really important. Whether it's at the high-end, you know, steak or, or fish or whatever, I don't know. I think there's a place to actually hopefully, when the prices come down, produce those cheap sort of commodity ingredient lines using this sort of technology. If it means that we're not wasting important farmland and we're capturing the sun and we're not wasting water and they're recycling nutrients, then I think it's it's an opportunity to be more sustainable in food production for big cities. From my Kellogg's report, that's what I, um, I guess, summarised in the fact that um, I believe that they will be somewhere around 90% more environmentally efficient. But there are other pieces that um, can definitely come into play around that in terms of being able to make food at scale quicker with that lower environmental footprint. But there's there's other things around um, public perception of you know, is it a good or right thing to be doing in terms of <laughs> creating uh, food in the lab and has a real ick factor, I guess, in the types of additives, et cetera, that are added to the products can have issues as well from a, you know, a nutritional or healthy perspective. Definitely. I think um, everyone remembers the day when pork bacon or bacon come out that was looked like pork and tasted like pork but was actually chicken. I remember that day, and I'll never forget it. That was the first thing I wanted to buy to go and try this, this chicken out. And uh, I still remember when when fast food outlets um, started bringing out patties that weren't actually meat and beef. What are consumers actually, you know, what what, what are their thoughts, Justin? I don't know if you've done any research around what the consumers are are expecting of, of lab-grown food. Yeah, we've we've done a bit of work um, because at Plant and Food we're doing some we're investigating cellular agriculture or agriculture fish, you know, fish in a dish. And but before we actually produce it, we've gone out and asked the question, you know, what do you think about this? And we've asked the question of New Zealanders and more recently Australians, because often we go out and ask overseas people different um, markets that we're going to sell it to. But we thought, well, how about the Kiwis? What do they think? And it's interesting because there's a really high trust in New Zealand food practice. So some of them going, well, you know, if we're going to produce it in New Zealand, of course it's going to be safe. You know, we trust their producers, which is good. Um, They know that the, the advantages would be it's pollution-free, they'd expect it to have environmental benefits. Animal welfare is a big thing. You know, not all of us were brought up on a farm and understand that 
you know, you eat your animals. They're not all pets Life sort and of death. thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and there's ethical issues around feeding the world. So they're seeing that those would be the benefits. The disadvantages, it's unnatural, you know. It might impact the fishing industry because we're talking about fish here. So that's... Yeah. That's a negative, you know. And what about health and safety? So New Zealanders are very pragmatic. They're relatively open and forward thinking and not only are they thinking about food safety, but the long-term effect on the consumption in New Zealand and the exposure of these sorts of things. The young guys less concerned than the older guys about this new technology. If you think the cutoff's about 45 years, so some of us are a bit past it, and there are some of you guys will think this is fabulous. And the younger people are concerned about climate change and they're actively wanting to do something that's going to make a significant change. And, and that something is usually their choice of food. You know, so if they've got a choice of food that's going to have an environmental impact, a positive one, then they'll do it. So we need to know what those young people are thinking about, what their drivers are. Suzanne, what do you think the future of uh, laboratory proteins, what does the future look like? I thought about that quite a lot after doing my Kellogg report, and I always thought it would be people that were, I guess, anti-eating meat, etc., but, um, you know, particularly around that cultured meat, it is still from an animal. So if they were vegan, for example, then that, you know, it wouldn't really be an option. So where I see it fitting mostly is around the kind of meat that you don't really care too much about the taste. So I don't see it being like a, a prime steak um, replacement, but I see it like for sausages or meatballs or, or you know, uh, you think about like hot dogs or things like that where the, the meat isn't high quality anyway and, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the two. So I actually see mums and dads wanting a low price meat. I see that kind of the price point where it's going to sit if they can get the price down. So currently the price is really high to produce. So in time, if that comes down, I think that that's where it's probably placed. Wicked. Jocelyn, you heard the saying, curiosity killed the cat. I think um, myself individually, I would be definitely keen to have a little bit of a dabble because I'm, I'm very curious, as probably a lot of other under 45-year-olds will be. But for this road that we're going to be going down, is this the death of traditional food production? No, 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 no. I think, um, well, we talked about how long we've been growing animals, farming animals in New Zealand, you know, many, 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 many decades. But it's not the same. We don't farm them the same now as we did then. So a modern traditional is still... I think the way to go, let's make our farming more sustainable, you know, less pollution, clean water, but also just give consumers options. You know, I actually really like the plant-based patties that you put inside hamburgers. They've got fabulous texture. They've got really good flavour. We can put a whole lot of different nutrients in there. So I think that there are just a whole lot of different ways that we can produce our food that uh, provide options. Both, the, you know, you think about organic and the chef's, are actually providing really good opportunities. Slow cooking's a thing, you know, and then you have whole lots of different sort of uh, fusion um, ways of producing your food. So I think that it's really important that we actually provide lovely, flavoursome, tasty, good textured foods, and it can be developed in a range of different ways, both the more sophisticated traditional, you know, farming whole foods, as well as some of those processed but healthy foods. I think it's awesome, mate. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to the future of food because 
it's a good anchor of connection for community. Like it, food brings people together. But in the past, people's beliefs around consuming food, whether it be someone who's a vegan and, you, and, and a farmer, wouldn't normally go for dinner together. So uh, it's going to be wicked that they can come around and have a barbecue and have um, both have a chuck a sanger on the uh, on the barbie and and both consume food equally and share conversation like it's going to be pretty cool. So Jocelyn, I've got a question for you for for all the farmers out there wanting to to navigate this space and, and I suppose we we never have our blinkers on. We're always looking for opportunity to occupy our land in different ways. It seems there's a quite a big divide. It's it's us versus them as a farmer. Is there a middle ground where it's like, let's just have a little play here. Let's just diversify our land use. Is there, is there mentors out there? Like, is there other systems who are sort of working in this space? How do we as farmers take a slight pivot, test the water, and then dive deep into uh, our typical land use? That's, you know, we might be fourth or fifth generation farmers doing things the, the same way that we've always done them. How do we, uh, how do we start navigating this space, mate? Is there opportunity there? Oh, I think there is. I think uh, what we have to think about is, you know, traditional whole foods produced ethically and sustainability with no pollution waste, they're going to have a place in the future. But I think we also need to be looking at a new menu that provides, you know, plant options, uh, more environmentally sustainable production options, data-rich foods, you know, know what's in them, what's the composition of your food, how's it functional, think about the food rather than the plant and tell some really good, strong provenance stories. Everybody likes to understand who's producing the food, where it's coming from, how it's made, as well as the fact that it's healthy and tasty. So I think I think there's a lot of options to be innovative as we go along. We have different production systems that you can introduce new things in, or you just ask for a re- you ask for the business case. You know, what's the business case around completely diverting my land use into something else and take the risk? You're all businessmen and women, so that's probably what comes first, really. And there will be risk, but there will be opportunities with those high-risk things. Yeah, I'm of the same thought too. So, Suzanne, we've never had to sell our product, right? Like, we've uh, there's always been a market there. And unfortunately, uh, we've got such a beautiful story, whether you're in sheep and beef, dairy, whatever it may be, farming the land. We've all got stories of the land. Um, there's a whakapapa behind it adopting technology and storytelling for the individuals and uh, navigating small parts of this farm as we start changing the way that we use our land um, is going to come with that storytelling. So I'm really excited about that part of it. Have you got any thoughts there, Suzanne, just around around that question? Yeah, I I mean, I think that um, there's a real story to tell and and we've seen it, uh, Beef and Lamb, I think, are doing a great job of this at the moment in terms of um, really strong messaging around our um, sustainability in terms of our farmers and sheep and beef farmers are highly sustainable and it's something that's ongoing and we continue to do it and look to be better and better and we're already really good (laughs) at what we do. But I think just continue researching um, options and particularly uh, looking at what would suit in terms of the area that you're farming in or growing crops in, for example, and and just looking to see what's coming out. Often your neighbour's doing something, look over the fence, see what they're up to, uh, get yourself down to a discussion group, for example, and there's so many opportunities 
You know, there's lots of people doing things around the product stories that they're producing in terms of high value products and flavor profiles, et cetera. Yeah, there's so much going on that that's really exciting. So Jocelyn, this this is a Balance X podcast where we bring in experts uh, to figure out, in this case in particular, new food technologies. Why is this such a cool topic to talk about and why, why do you think we're talking about this in this space in particular? Because I can't see us going around with a, with a food spreader throwing it onto um, agar plates made, hoping the steak's going to grow. Uh, Tanya, in my experience, New Zealand farmers are really good business people. They're highly innovative. They're great at testing and implementing new technologies. So we need to develop technologies that make good business sense for New Zealand and understand and communicate those hurdles so that they can be overcome. I'm really excited about New Zealand's rotational regenerative cropping systems. You know, for me, it's all about the plants. I do have a stake, but it's all about the plants. And I think that there's a place for animals in that system. You know, the future of food in New Zealand for me is hearing those high-tech food stories. You know, New Zealand's not recognised as high-tech overseas, but we should be. Yep, absolutely. I can't wait to tell our stories because you hear of like sheep and beef in New Zealand and dairy and Z and and those slice of com- companies like that. But actually, it's dairy, Davidson Road, 430. There's a there's a family here that occupy this land and there's six other families that live up the same same road that have their own story to tell. So it's going to be exciting when uh, when we go to, you know, consumers and with our products and they can actually see what's going on behind behind the label, which is going to be wicked. Yeah, be great. So Zan, what role does balance have to play in this? Yeah, good question. Balance is, well, firstly, a farmer-owned cooperative. So we're really interested in the interests of our farmers and growers and, and ensuring that they are sustainable for the future. So I'm in the innovation team within Balance, and we are looking at five to 10 years in advance of what's what's coming at our farmers and growers. So being aware of what's coming. So uh, anything to do with the new future tech around food is essential for us to be abreast of. The other thing from our perspective is that everything starts and ends with the soil. So all life comes from soil in terms of grass, pasture, cropping, and animals are raised from that. So and it all ends back in the soil again. So what you know, what whatever we take out of the soil has to be returned in terms of nutrients, etc. So this is all really relevant to what balance does. It's at, and it's at the core of what we do. What is new food tech and egg, and what is it in a nutshell? I think uh, new food tech is about how we grow our food and how we produce it. So, so you could have different ways of producing food. You currently have traditional sort of rotation type farming. You could have new cell-based, lab-based foods that don't actually ever start out on the farm. You could have fermentation technologies. You could introduce you know, genetic modification to optimise some of those cell lines so that they grow really tasty foods. Or you could use different raw materials, introduce different crops into the growing rotations, use different crops that we've never grown in New Zealand before, you know. So a whole range of different technologies is quite a catch-all. It's just doing something innovatively and quite differently. So team, I've got one final question I'd like to ask you before we wrap up. Suzanne, what excites you the most about the future of farming in Aotearoa? 
There's a real uh, exciting opportunity for New Zealand farmers around feeding that world population that's growing to 10 million by 2050. New Zealand has a really unique opportunity in terms of our sustainability and being able to produce food to feed those 10 billion people. We potentially can't create all of the food, but we can create some really good, healthy, nutritious food for those 10 billion. And what about you, Jocelyn? I'm really excited about New Zealand's rotational cropping systems. It's all about the plants for me. While there's a place for animals in these systems, at Plant and Food Research, we're looking at a technology that takes the cow out of the process between pasture and protein, puts them to the side, really. So I can't wait to be able to talk more about proteins from pasture, the new technology that we're developing at Plant and Food with the primary industry in New Zealand. Well, that wraps up our corridor. It's been awesome to have you guys on. Hope you guys have a lovely day. Well, there you go, team. This is such a huge topic that we barely scratched the surface off. I feel like we could have spent the next two hours having a corridor. With all those new developments and technologies, the next 10 years is going to be hella interesting and I can't wait to see the developments that come out. The thing that surprised me the most was that we've been doing this for years and I'm really excited to get back out on farm with an eyes wide open approach to producing food for hungry mouths all around the world. Before we go, I just want to send a huge shout out to Jocelyn and Suzanne for occupying the stage today. They've done an awesome job of telling the story and don't forget for our listeners out there, Make sure you rate, review and subscribe to this podcast and tell all your mates. Look forward to seeing you guys on the next Balance X Future Farming podcast. Mā te wā.